Ride Show. Welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Show. All right, you guys. Next up on the show today is Dan McAdams. Of course, he is the director of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, co-host of the Liberty Report with the great Dr. Ron Paul and a former foreign policy advisor to Dr. Paul back when he was a congressman. Well, uh, welcome back to the show, Dan. How are you doing, sir? Hey, Scott. Thanks so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm really happy to have you on the show here, and I'm really eager to hear what you have to say about current developments in the war in Ukraine. And by that, I think I mostly mean political developments. I'm not sure if too much has changed on the ground there, although I admit I've been a bit distracted by Israel-Palestine lately, but it seems like there's more and more movement in politics in the West as well as in Ukraine. And I just wonder what you think of it all and what effect you think it's going to have overall on the war. Well, I mean, I think, again, it's very frustrating, Scott. We talked a lot about this a little bit off camera, which is that, um, you know, you spend two years saying a certain thing is going to happen. You're called an idiot and a Putin lover for those two years. And then the mainstream media, realizing that it's happening that way, starts putting out articles saying, um, oh, you know, the uh, counteroffensive didn't go very well. Oh, Ukraine on the brink, uh, you know, this, that and the other. So it is very frustrating um, to have to endure this all the time. Um, that you know the default should just be like every neocon claim is is garbage from from the from the get go, but they get away with it over and over again. But yeah, you're seeing mainstream Washington Post had a devastating article earlier this week. Um, even the Economist chief cheerleader for uh, this war, um, they're, they're they're realizing they have to get out in front of it of this failure, otherwise it might look like they've been wrong all along. But politically, it's a big deal. There was a fiasco in the Senate this week where Zelensky was supposed to address the closed-door classified session of senators. Republicans got there, and the whole thing looked like a complete joke. So they left, and Zelensky um, was tipped off to the fact it was basically an empty room. He flipped out, got super PO'd, and canceled it himself. So huge fiasco uh, for for Ukraine in sort of a last-ditch effort to sweet-talk the Americans out of some more money. Yeah, so, I mean, I saw a tweet today that said, was some reporter saying, his sources say it's dead for the rest of the year. They're not going to be able to get it through the House of the Senate right now, which is unbelievable, but I guess it's possible. There's only a few days left in session is the, is the problem. But, you know, before anyone starts cheering the Republicans for blocking this funding, they're not against the funding, Scott, and you know this very well. They're looking at the funding and they're looking at the, the desperation on the part of the Democrats to get that funding. And they're saying they're not saying, hey, this is a lost cause. The American people don't want this. It's a disaster. Um, uh, it's robbing, uh, you know, inflation is robbing the Americans. And no, they're saying, hmm, what can we get out of this? Um, what can we rest, what can we strangle out uh, of the system for it? And they've come across, they've, they've settled on this, uh, this border, this border issue. You know, we want a complete 
revamping of the border, you know, I'm all in favor of border security, what have you. However, <clears throat> thrown in like this and sort of a like, what are we going to get for it thing? Um, it's, uh, I think it's cynical. I think it's um, stupid. And I think it's typically Washington Republicans. Yeah. Well, let's hope that they fail to get their act together <laughs> and are able to betray us in time, you know? Yes, exactly. I mean, time is not is not their friend on this. And, you know, the, the one, I mean, here's a sort of an outlier of an idea. I don't know what you think of, about Scott, but, you know, they're trying to ram the NDAA through, the National Defense Authorization Act through. And um, uh, you know, one member who's a pretty mixed bag is uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. When she's on, she's quite good. She's not going to be silenced. She had a good um, little mini video yesterday. She talked about what's going on behind the scenes. You know, she was named to the conference committee. And, you know, how it works is the House passes a certain version. The Senate passes a certain version. And in good faith, uh, the each body of Congress appoints people to a conference committee to try to rectify the differences, you know. And you really should not expect any weird outliers to be thrown in the conference committee because it's all essentially agreed. If one side says 100,000, the side says 50,000, generally they want to compromise at 75, you know, that sort of thing. So MTG uh, came in and said, yeah, they put me on the committee, but they wouldn't let me see the bill, 3,000-page bill. Nobody could read it. They didn't want my input. They didn't ask my input. They already had given away the shop. They'd already given away $300 million in funding for Ukraine, and they already gave up um, the uh, extension of the FISA stuff, the 720 stuff. Um, behind the scenes, this was Speaker Johnson making a deal with Schumer is what she claims is happening. So I don't know what this means, but if that 300A passes for Ukraine, this is a long shot, you know, but it could be a silver lining in that the Republicans may feel like they've been there and done that and they gave it the office and they won't have to appropriate any more. But again, I'm pretty skeptical, but it's possible. Who knows? Yeah. And I wonder what Biden would really do in that situation if there must be a Pentagon slush fund or something they could resort to. It'd be, I don't know, it's outside of the realm of my imagination, Daniel, to have Congress actually shut down a foreign policy in my yeah. lifetime. It happened two years before I was born was the last time it happened <laughs> I know of. Yeah, but it's not on principle. I guess we'll take the the, the win when we can, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that is the case. We'll take the win when we can. Well, and so now things are falling apart politically for Zelensky. It seems like too, I saw, was it the post piece that said, yes, sir. It was the, the, there's a two part, as you referred to this earlier, this piece in the post, it says, ah, geez, the search didn't work. And it sounds like word for word, paragraph for paragraph. It's everything we were saying half a year ago or two thirds of a year ago, why it's not going to work. And they're going, oh, yeah, not to give credit where it's due or anything. But in <laughs> there, they said that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs is a favorite to run for president against Zelensky because he's seen as more reasonable than, than Zelensky. And he's the same guy that was reported. I'm sorry, I'm not good with the names. Uh, forgive me. But um, he's the same guy that Seymour Hersh said is now talking to the Russians, going over Zelensky's helmet, so to speak, and... Uh, discussing sort of pre-negotiations, this kind of thing. Did you see that? Yeah, Valery Zeluzny. He's also the guy who who um, has been named as a possible collaborator in the in the blowing up of the Nord Stream One and Two. At least that's what the I think the German press 
said when they came out with it. Who knows what the case is? But mm. you know, there definitely there definitely is divisions within within power circles in in uh, in Ukraine, and you see this all the time when things start to break down and go badly. Um, and it's not only Zeluzhny, um uh, pitted against Zelensky, but you have Klitschko coming in, which is a name we haven't heard in a long time, really. But if you remember from Victoria Newland's famous phone call, hey, we need Klitsch in here. We need uh, so-and-so in there. We need to do this and that, and FDU. I mean, he, he is the guy who was on her Rolodex in terms of what to do with the government after the U.S. overthrew it. He's come out and said um, that Zelensky is ruling like a dictator, which is what everyone else has been saying for a while. But he's ruling like a dictator, and he's going to have to pay for the mistakes he's made in this counteroffensive. So you've got at least a tripartite um, you know, circular shooting contest going on right now. And I think things are, are, are falling apart. It's kind of interesting if the U.S. is putting its stock behind Zelensky, though, because the guy is, is pretty, um, I mean, you think Zelensky's coked up, coked up. This guy is, um, is a lot crazier. I mean, he's the one who said to um, Secretary Lloyd Austin uh, when they met just a few days ago, hey, I need 17 million shells, you know, <laughs> I need 17 million shells. And, you know, the entire U.S. production of shells is about 300,000 a year. So the entire world production of shells is nowhere near that. They don't not that that many shells don't exist in the world, except maybe in Russia. Mm-hmm. So he's but not only that, he wants some F-16s. And uh, what's the other thing he wants? This um, shoot, it's not it's in the tip of my tongue. This American missile system of which we the attackums, right? No, no, not the attackums. No. It's another one. It's the uh, the THAAD system. Uh huh. And we only have four of those, and they're all in use. And he says, I need a couple thads. I need some – forget the F-16s. I need some F-18s. <laughs> and he's a guy who said like a few months ago, and I also need some space lasers. <laughs> some space lasers. <laughs> some so good. space lasers, yeah. So so I don't know what's up with Zeluzhny. You can ask uh, Margaret Taylor I mean, Green about that one. Yeah. So, Man. I mean, we laugh about it, but clearly things are falling apart. They all thought they wouldn't get Gaddafi'd, but guess what? Sooner or later, everyone gets Gaddafi'd. Yeah. You know, uh, Connor O'Keefe, who's the great editor and poster of these interviews, by the way, writes for the Institute and writes also for Mises. And oh, yeah. he has a piece at Mises that it, we're running as a spotlight on antiwar.com today, where he talks about, well, what would happen if America stopped supporting Ukraine? And he goes, well, let's look at the history here. And he brings up again this all-important story that's now quintuply confirmed, or maybe even more, about how they were really making progress in the talks at the beginning of the war, where the Russians were going to withdraw back out of the country. You know, I'm sure they're going to still recognize the supposed independence of Donetsk and Luhansk or some kind of deal, but they were essentially going to end the war and withdraw their troops from certainly what's uh, happened since then. And Zelensky was prepared to sign it until the Americans and the Brits forced him to quit. Yeah. Typical. It's typical. I mean, it's come out and that was admitted by um, in the top advisor to Zelensky, David uh, Arakamia mm-hmm. um, admitted that I think in the economist, it was last week that this is what's happened. You know, um, <laughs> Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson, I don't know if you saw this, um, Scott, but he called for his government to come up with a plan for a military raid on the Netherlands to get some vaccines from them. Back in, this guy is unmanned. He's as nutty as a fruit. 
I mean, our rulers are so insane and so stupid. Um, I mean, if 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 just if if just looking at who is ruling over us doesn't make you libertarian, I don't know what will. Yeah, you know? but yeah, he's a guy that you know, he's a guy that literally rolled in uh, and said, "No, you guys can't do this. Don't worry, we'll give you everything you want. Don't worry, you guys, fight on, boys, fight on, boys." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then he went off to guzzle a few gallons of whiskey or something. It's just incredible. It is, uh, you know. See, it seems sort of unreal. But then you go, well, look at Boris Johnson. Look at Kamala Harris. I saw the headline. I didn't believe. I mean, who knows what they really mean by these things, but that they even try this. It's like a TV show. They go, well, Kamala Harris is now in charge of Gaza policy. Ah, oh, come on. You know, like some of us have work to do here. Stop wasting my time with this craziness, you know? Um, and this kind of thing, like you say, Boris freaking Johnson somehow became the prime minister of Britain. Already I'm accusing you of pulling my leg. And now he come in and completely blew up a peace negotiation. And as you say, this guy, David Arkamia, he was the leader of the Ukrainian delegation. Now yeah. confirming this part of the story. And so, um, uh, it, and look, and as Connor O'Keefe says in this piece, Dan, he says, you could see what they were thinking, that Ukraine's initial resistance to Russia was so successful compared to what they thought was going to happen, that they said, all right, let's go for broke, instead of, whew, that's a relief that the entire military and state didn't get smashed to, uh, to smithereens, and so at least we'll be able to salvage something. Let's compromise now and accept our two-thirds of a loaf. And instead, I don't know what Zelensky was thinking, but the Americans and the Brits were thinking, no, now's the time to press our advantage, which they never had. Let's roll into Moscow. But that whole thing, Scott, is only because they believe their own bullcrap, because they incorrectly concluded that for Russia, it was about taking territory. Even though Putin was very explicit, it's about demilitarization and denazification of Ukraine. And so when they initially went into Kiev and took a couple airfields, but didn't continue on and capture the city, the geniuses in D.C. in the Beltway and their allies uh, across Europe concluded incorrectly that this was plucky little Ukraine standing up for itself. When, in fact, people that we know who actually are experts like McGregor and, and, uh, and Ritter and the others, Johnson, they knew all along. I mean, it was very obvious they did not want to have to occupy Kiev at this point. Their goals, which they were explicit about, were demilitarization, denazification, and they continue grinding onward. But the U.S. can't – these people can't let go of this idea that wars are only about territorial conquest. You know, that's the only thing they can think. So that's what this whole thing was built on a lie anyway. Yeah. Well, and speaking of that, switch gears back to U.S. politics again. Vivek Ramaswamy took it to Nikki Haley in, I guess, what's the final Republican debate of the season last night by challenging her to name any of the provinces in eastern Ukraine that she wants America to fight for. And man, that was great. She just that was sat a great there. moment. I mean, he is he is a mixed bag, but when he's on, he is he's on fire. And that's a real risk 
Because she oh, could have yeah. said, what, are you kidding me? Of course it's Donetsk and Luhansk and Saprosia and Kursan yeah. and whatever. Like, that ain't that hard, bro. <laughs> we got to save Kharkiv before it falls back under Russian domination. Like, that's any idiot could tell you that if you want to yeah. take that point of view. So he was making a gamble, but he gambled right. She didn't have the first clue. She never heard of Donetsk and Luhansk. She don't know nothing about it, Dan, nothing. Exactly. She's look Gary up, Johnson up there. Exactly. Worse. Sorry, but Gary. Look, <laughs> but look how Politico, after the last Republican debate, said, Nikki Haley is flexing her foreign policy chops in this one. You know, what chops? Give me a break. You know, he's yep. it just it just shows that she's a front for the neocons. She's not even a neocon. Right. Because you could, whatever you say about neocons, they're no dummies. Yeah, at least they, they read can, books and stuff. Yeah, yeah, they know this stuff very, very well. And what was funny, Dan, was wasn't it two debates ago or something that he goes, geez, you probably work for Lockheed or Raytheon or something. And then right after the debate, everyone was like, no, dude, Boeing. She was on the board of Boeing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man. I'm living <laughs> in the comic from, book of the fall of the American empire. She goes from being massively in debt to being a multimillionaire, you know, I mean. Why doesn't anyone ever try to corrupt us, you know? Yeah, seriously, dude. <laughs> I mean, come on, Boeing. I see come that. On. I see people post screenshots of like, hi, we're from some PR firm, and we want to bribe you to say nice things about Israel and stuff yeah. like that. They never <laughs> try on. that on me. <laughs> Give me a shot, please. <laughs> I mean, I'd probably take the money and break the contract, but, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, man. Oh, well. Hang on just one second. Hey, y'all. The audiobook of my book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism, is finally done. Yes, of course, read by me. It's available at Audible, Amazon, Apple Books, and soon on Google Play and whatever other options there are out there. It's my history of America's war on terrorism from 1979 through today. Give it a listen and see if you agree. It's time to just come home. Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism, the audiobook. Hey guys, I've had a lot of great webmasters over the years, but the team at expanddesigns.com have by far been the most competent and reliable. Harley Abbott and his team have made great sites for the show and the Institute, and they keep them running well, suggesting and making improvements all along. Make a deal with expanddesigns.com for your new business or news site. They will take care of you. Use the promo code SCOTT and save $500. That's expanddesigns.com. Man, I wish I was in school so I could drop out and sign up for Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom instead. Tom has done such a great job on putting together a classical curriculum for everyone from junior high schoolers on up through the postgraduate level. And it's all very reasonably priced. Just make sure you click through from the link in the right margin at scotthorton.org. Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. Real history. Real economics. Real education. Um, so, but then, so Vivek Ramaswamy goes on Fox News this morning. Did you see that clip, Dan? I didn't see that one yet. Man, so it's Brian Kilmeade just went after him. And you know he has his few talking points. You know, Hitler yeah. and Czechoslovakia. And this <laughs> yeah. is, you know, whatever. And, and Ramaswamy is, he's being kind of hawkish. He's saying, listen, man, the most important dangerous thing in the world is a Russian-Chinese alliance. And they have their differences. And it's crazy for us to push the two together the way that we're doing. We need to find a way to, he didn't say accommodate, but, you know, we got to figure out how we can coexist with China, with Russia because China is the bigger threat. And 
which I don't even agree with at all, but at least it's a reason to not pick a fight with Russia anyway. I don't know. And they're just not having it. Nope. They're already 100%, million percent allies, and there's nothing we can do about that except take them both on, Dan. That's it. Fox and Fox and friends, they figure this out. Yeah, let's... Yeah, let's have Jesse Waters suit up or any of these guys, right? <laughs> Tough yeah. guys. And it, it was a real fight, too. Like, you could tell he got instructions that, like, let him have it. Don't let it, you know. He didn't treat him with any respect at all. It was pure attack dog, you know, going after yeah. him the whole time. It was pretty something, you know. Like, Bill O'Reilly came back and is taking on, you know, some 9-11 victim's child or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, the word must have gone out because he said things you're not supposed to say. Yeah. During the debates. Absolutely. Well, look, I mean, so this gets to the whole crack up. And obviously, Dan, I think, you know, it's most prominent inside the Democratic Party where you have all the old people and all the money and all the organization on the side of Israel. And you have all the kids out in the street against it. And I think that's pretty much the same division on Ukraine, only much starker. Um, and then you do have this crack up in the Republican Party. I know that you guys... This was the headline of you and Ron's show the other day was 50 percent. And this is consistent over the last few polls. There was one pretty optimistic poll said 56, but still I'll take 50. And I've been saying if 50 percent of Republicans want to cease fire in Israel's war against who they call terrorists in Gaza, which, hey, Hamas, a bunch of civilian killers, you can call them terrorists, fine by me. And then, but half of Republicans say they want to cease fire in the middle of that. To me, I'll grade that on a curve and call that 75%. You know what I mean? That's huge to me that the uh, yeah, American <clears throat> right is so broken away from and divorced away from the thinking of the George Bush years that they're not, ha you know, Ukraine is one thing, but Israel, Palestine, even 50 50 there seems pretty huge, Dan. It's shocking, and they don't want you to know this sort of thing. And this is despite all of the propaganda 24-7. I mean, the whole idea of right-wing propaganda on Israel is to convince American conservatives, right-wingers, that any opposition to the slaughter in Gaza is, puts you in the camp of Ilan Omar in the American-hating squad. You know, and nobody wants to be in that. There's no such thing as conservatives who are opposing our support uh, for the slaughter that's happening there. But I was su as surprised as you are, Scott, that despite that, and I think you're right, you know, if you look at some of the crosstabs, it's the younger generation. Um, it's, it's, it's not buying into it. And I was, I think I said it on the show with Dr. Paul once recently, it reminds me of this, of the, um, Cuba policy in Florida, you know, like when Dr. Paul went there, when he was campaigning, he was pretty worried because we're against all the embargoes and stuff. And when he went out there, there's a lot of young Cuban Americans who are like, and the embargo, this is ridiculous. Let's make friends with Cuba. So I think the younger generation don't have all that intellectual baggage that the boomers have. And I think Ramaswamy represents that younger generation. Yeah. Well, and it's really is the access to the media, too. I realized this over at my parents' house on Thanksgiving. My dad flipped on NewsHour, PBS NewsHour. Uh-huh. And this is a real thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm only talking about the context and the contrast. Okay. It was an extended interview with a family member of an Israeli who had been kidnapped and was being held by Hamas in Gaza. And which, you know, again, for people who don't know this, I guess it is relevant to this discussion. 
literally an extended family member of mine was kidnapped and murdered by Hamas in this thing. So uh-huh. I have my sympathies for that situation, obviously. And yet, the point I'm making is they're going on and on for a good 10-minute or 15-whatever, 12-minute segment or something on the news hour about this one case of this one Israeli victim. And I'm looking at my phone, and they're bombing Gaza to smithereens, and they're pulling little toddlers out of the rubble. And I got some guy's legs sticking up out of the dirt. They're trying to dig for him to uncover him. There's no way in the world they're going to get to him in time. This guy's buried alive. And, and I'm looking at hell on earth on my phone in, that the Palestinians are living through. And I'm watching woe is me from the obviously dominant power by a thousand percent on the TV screen. And I think that's just what makes the difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. And because and, I'm exposed to both, but my folks, they're never exposed to what I'm seeing on my phone. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're not going to go on Twitter. Yeah. It's very unlikely. Yeah. That's and exactly. NewsHour isn't going to show them. No, no. I mean, surprisingly, like places like CNN are doing slightly better, believe it or not, on some of this stuff. You know, Christian Amanpour had a good interview recently um, about it. But yeah, I mean, it's a generational thing. There's absolutely no question about about it. But, you know, I mean, it's like, okay, the 3000 people in the Twin Towers that were killed, that's awful. And we feel absolute sympathy for them. But then we went out and killed a million Iraqis over it. Okay, what's that all about? It's the same kind of thing. It's this proportionality. It's so obviously skewed and so horrific that, um, you know, for all of his faults, I have to say thank God for Elon Musk, because if there was no debate on Twitter now, um, I think a lot a lot of us wouldn't be seeing a lot of the stuff that we see. Yeah. Um, have you been reading this guy, John Robb? You know who I'm talking about, Dan? I'm afraid I don't. Global Gorillas. So you really like him, man. He's got a Substack, uh, Global Gorillas, and I interviewed him last week. And he's, um, he wrote this thing. I never can remember the name of the book, but he wrote a book about the Sunni insurgency in Iraq war two and the way it was this decentralized leadership and that kind of thing. And he took that same kind of network analysis to the Twitter swarms. And you'll be very familiar with the Twitter swarms that were the Russiagate Twitter swarms, the COVID Twitter swarms and the, you know, uh, the pro Ukraine war Twitter swarm, which according to John Robb, really hemmed in Biden's choices. Like essentially the center-left Hillary Clinton voter women of Twitter in in that time, in at the end of 21 and into beginning of 22 there, was so powerful that they really were upstream from and leading the war party out ahead of the White House and the worst of the National Security Council on the thing and, and making it worse. But anyway, he was talking about how they happened to be on the... Uh, the side of the underdog in this one anyway on um, on Israel and Palestine and how, uh, as he puts it, the Israelis online front collapses, right? Like he's putting it in terms of it's all part of fifth generation cyber war, this, that, whatever, and how the Israeli propaganda is just falling so flat because all they yeah. can do is just scream anti-Semite at people who clearly are not anti-Semites and refer back to the atrocity of the seventh without any kind of update that would somehow rationalize what's happening now. And so it's, 
it's the least effective Hezbollah ever, essentially. And it's, in fact, even backfiring on them as they accuse innocent people of being Jew haters simply for caring about what's happening to the Palestinians, you know? Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of how Ukraine exposed the paper tiger that is the American military machine, the greatest military on Earth. And all of our Wunder weapons, you know, uh, collapsed uh, on the battlefield. You know, you have this instructions. Well, you got to clean out the engine of this uh, of these tanks like every couple hours because, you know, they need to be cleaned. Oh, let's do that during a battle. I mean, this this the uh, October 7th revealed uh, the, the paper tiger that is that is the, the Israeli uh, security state. Um, first of all, like, how is it possible that these Palestinians in lawn chairs are taking over military barracks and military bases? That seems pretty weird. Um, how is it possible that nobody seems to know a damn thing about it or were able to do anything about it um, for hours? How is it possible this much vaunted, um, and I believed it myself, um, uh, Hasbara you're talking about, I mean, the propaganda, uh, like you say, has collapsed. It's like a, um, it's like putting in an old eight track, right? <laughs> and everyone else is streaming digital music. Uh, it's amazing how dated it looks. Yeah. And after all, I mean, security is a government program. Ultimately, their incentive is to fail, even if it's not deliberate. They kind of will do better next time if they don't do good this time. And just like any other government program, it's just kind of built that way. So you could see where, you know, there was this story in the New York Times from Ronan Bergman saying they had on paper the entire Hamas war plan. They had yeah, intercepted. Of course, they, com they completely pwned the Gaza Strip, right? Of course they had it. They didn't know when exactly. And it said in there that this had been all around the highest levels of the national security state over there. They said it wasn't clear whether Netanyahu himself had seen it or not. But it's, you know, this is just the minimalist explanation until we got more information. But it's easy to see how the word had probably more or less gone around that Bibi doesn't want to hear any more about Hamas right now. So if you yeah. have a bunch of, oh no, Hamas information then you can go put it in the memory hole pile to yeah. be burned because we're not trying to hear that. We have a different narrative right now, which is that everything Netanyahu has decided to do is working perfectly, and we don't want to get that messed up. So you did have all these alerts and reports coming from right outside the gate from lower-level military people saying, hey, we're seeing a lot of training and movement and things to be concerned about. But the reports are just getting quashed all the way up. Instead of everyone doing their best, they're doing their best to avert their eyes because not because they want a catastrophe to happen, but because they don't want to have to embarrass and contradict the boss who said that everything's fine. Exactly. I mean, isn't that so much like 9-11, too? You know, I mean, there were the warning lights were going off everywhere and they just didn't want to hear it. And like you, I mean, I don't buy the theory that they knew everything was going to happen and said, OK, this is going to be great. I, I just don't think I don't think they would go that far. Just no. Like with the 9-11, I don't think they knew exactly what was going to happen and said, let's do it anyway. Um, but I do think that, you know, like all governments, arrogance takes a big part. And we were just talking about with Ukraine, how the U.S. Uh, experts believe their own lies. They believe their own circular thinking about it. I'm sure that's the case was the case in Israel as well, you know. Um, they just they believe the rhetoric, as you say, don't piss off the boss. Uh, you know, a president Bush does not want to hear about this. You know, we want to stovepipe the intelligence uh, to point to Iraq and nothing else is heard. Mm -hmm.
So it's it's not so far fetched. It's not conspiratorial. Yeah. Well, and look. Um, ah, geez, I forgot who it was. Maybe Chalmers Johnson that said, "Look, power doesn't just corrupt; it makes people stupid." I'm sorry if I'm getting that attribution wrong, and I owe that to someone else. But you can really see that with the whole information bubble. There's that book that I actually never read, but I at one time owned and almost read. That was called The Perils of Groupthink, which I'm pretty sure one of the examples in there is the um, Bay of Pigs disaster, where all these brilliant geniuses sat around a table and agreed to go ahead on this plan that had been changed 15 times and made no sense and was never going to work and, you know, it was a complete disaster. But they all agreed, and... You'd have been the little kid saying the emperor wears no clothes to disagree. Wow. And so it was all the wrong incentives. When the only incentive that should have mattered was, is this a good plan? Is this going to work? Do we have the right to do this? These kinds of questions. Is this smart and right for us to do? Instead, it was, what makes sense for me to do and say in my body language as I sit at this table here with these other guys who think the things they think and just you know what i mean what of course yeah. that's how they run the empire like a bunch of nitwits yeah and that's what makes us uninterventionists because we realize there's simply no right way to do any of these things the only conclusion is to not try doing them yeah because there's just no way to know and seriously you would think that they would get one right after a while or something but no <laughs> oh man um well, listen, man, I'm sorry I'm out of time to keep talking to you, Dan. Um, I have more questions here and discussion things. But um, one thing that's important is the Ron Paul Institute. So I wanted to give you a moment to talk about it. Well, thanks very much, Scott. You know, we, we do have the Daily Ron Paul Liberty Report at noon on Rumble. We love people to come watch it. We love people to come out to our conference. We had Scott Horton, the great Scott Horton, speaking at our conference last time in Houston. We'd love to have him come out again and get involved again. We all got to stick together. RonPaulInstitute.org. We've got a, a new website. Thanks to our good pal <clears throat> Harley, who put it together for us. And um, it's a work in progress, but it's a big improvement. So um, we just love having everyone's participation and support. Right on. Okay. And that's RonPaulInstitute.org and also LibertyReport.com, right? That's right. Yes. All right. Okay. The great Dan McAdams. Thank you very much for your time, Dan. Appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, APSRadio.com, Antiwar.com, ScottHorton.org, and LibertarianInstitute.org.